0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another DC Spotlight. It's the collaboration between Comic Boom and Comic Source, bringing you the DC books for September 12th, 2023, plus a book that comes out on Batman Day. We'll talk about it at the end. Batman Gargoyle of Gotham. Hope you had a chance to listen to my chat with Rafael Grampa from San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, yeah, so we're just, we'll briefly touch on that book right at the end, and then maybe we'll talk about it more in depth next week. Um, but that being said, A little bit of a down week for me. Um, Nothing that really kind of blew me away. I mean, Green Lantern, which I already talked about with Jeremy Adams, was really good. We'll talk about that. Danger Street, which typically is a a highlight for us. Maybe a bit of a down issue there. So not sure. Uh, Be interesting to see what Book of the Week is for each of us. But we also have the debut of Batman and Robin number 1, which is a six-issue miniseries from Joshua Williamson, which – my understanding is the whole entire miniseries takes place during Gotham War. So that's interesting as well. Uh, and then, of course, Waller versus Wildstorm, which is a super political book. And again, another one of these, especially a book like this. Um, that's so in depth and so political. And and so thus a little bit complicated. for it to have the delay from night terrors like oh my god i was for the first four or five pages, i was so lost and it's not a book (laughs) that i want to go back and reread the previous two to remember what the hell was going on because it's so dense and there's so many moving parts it's confusing enough already uh i don't know bad, bad form dc like that was that's one that probably shouldn't have been delayed and maybe it wasn't supposed to be and it's only just delayed from normal delays and not night terrors but Anyway, uh, what were your thoughts on the week overall, Rocky? Well,
1: uh, uh, overall, I was uh, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I enjoyed getting Jeremy Adams back, Green Lantern back on track. I enjoyed reading that. I I thought. I thought the re- and, and I actually enjoyed Batman and Robin probably a little bit more than you did and I really like Batman Gargoyle of Gotham but well that's that is for Batman Day we won't be given any spoilers for that because it comes out as you said on uh, Batman Day September I think sixteenth and but the rest yeah was it was a little bit disappointing and part of it uh, part of it had to do with my struggle to remember what had happened because of the Night Terror break which uh, we, you and I both vented our frustrations about that but. Uh, uh, beyond that, uh, and, and the other, I mean, Batman Incorporated, the ending of Batman Incorporated was, I mean, you and I pretty much predicted it, and, and I'm sure lots of other people did, too. So that was because, I don't know, I felt disappointed that it was so easy to sort of predict the outcome of that. But but we'll get into it, and maybe you and I will be good for a good rant or two, so. <laughs> yeah,
0: usually, yeah, usually we are good for a good rant or two. The other thing, uh, well, well, we'll talk about when we get there. Let's Let's kick it off with Batman and Robin. Number one, as I mentioned, written by Joshua Williamson. The art here is by Simone DeMeo, Or DeMayo. Um, letters by Steve Wands. As always, many, 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 many covers when it comes to uh, a number one uh, from DC, you know, and from Marvel for that matter. Uh, I gotta mention the Art Germ uh, cover with White Rabbit, which, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous, right? It's just gorgeous. She looks, uh, she looks fantastic. Yes. Um, maybe a little waifu, waifu, uh, what have you. But um, I, I'll go ahead and go, go first. Uh, you mentioned you probably like it better than me. And, and that's probably the case. So he, and here's the thing that kind of kept taking me out of the story. The the sure. interaction between Bruce Wayne and Damien when they're talking to, talking to each other, just, you know, supposed everyday life kind of thing. A little bit when they're in the costume, but more when not. More when they're just kind of at the Brownstone and talking, whatever. It just felt so cringy to me. It, it's not any sort of dialogue or interaction or, um, like the, the, the way they speak to each other, it just so out of left field, never seen it before. Granted, I haven't read every single, you know, Batman, Damian Wayne comic that there is, um, but this didn't sound like any sort of way that they would speak to each other that I've ever read before. Um, and it, it just, I mean, this whole idea of Damien kind of being the, the parent, almost like being the parent, right? Didn't you ever listen to Alfred? Can't you make your own you know, breakfast or make your own tea properly or whatever? It just, it felt so cringy. Um, it, it, yeah, it just didn't play well for me. The action scenes, like I said, were were a little better, um, but as much as I'm a fan of Simone DiMeo and the right book, I, I just didn't I didn't care for the art in this particular book. It felt a little chaotic. There are times where I found myself like having to really concentrate on the art and look around and say, "Okay, what what is that that I'm looking at? Oh, it's a it's a Zeppelin from far away, uh, and I'm looking up at it. Okay, got it." <laughs> Uh, and i also feel like the the color like i don't understand these color choices um everything is sort of pastelish uh muted sort of like a lot of pinks and and blues but all sort of muted um and so it, i don't know it made the art feel a little bit muddy to me so i i was a little disappointed in this um it wasn't terrible and it got better toward the end with the fight between Killer Croc and, um, because Orca was another one that was there. And I, I, yeah. also, I wasn't sure why Man Bat was a villain again. That was a little confusing, but neither here nor there, I guess. Um, and, and with Batman being shot with something where he's attracting bats, that's kind of interesting. We'll see how that plays out. Um, but overall, yeah, it, w- it was, uh, it was a disappointment. And you know, coming off Williamson's run on Damien, his voice, like his tone, the way Damien holds himself and acts and talks in that Robin series that had art by Gleb Melnikoff and Roger Cruz, which was fantastic, uh, that Damien feels like a completely different Damien than, than this Damien. This Damien's voice is kind of pretentious and, like I said, condescending to his father. Um, it feels like a totally different character. I, I don't know. I, I was just, I was taken aback um, by, by the, by the characterization of Damien and Bruce in this. So
1: for me, this was a bit of a miss. Uh, what'd you think? Well, if I, uh, first of all, I need to psychologically, uh, I need to de- I need to forget that, that Gotham war is going on because we have to remember that this takes place in the middle of Gotham war and, while I actually like this batman I, I don't I didn't mind this issue. I'm more positive about it than you are. I, this was Bruce Wayne trying to be more of a father figure to Damien. And we're not used to seeing that. Where he's actually trying to be a better father. He, he even enrolled Damien in school in this issue. And he's, he's trying to play the role that Alfred normally played. And, and he's, he's uncomfortable with it. And even, and Damien is uncomfortable even interacting with his father sort of playing that role. And even, and he's, and it's quite clear that Damien, both Damien, both father and son here are a little bit uncomfortable sort of communicating with each other. But, but Bruce, moves, Dame, you know, tells Damien, look, we're moving into, an, we got a new place now. This is, it, it's not Wayne Manor, obviously, because they, they were kicked out of Wayne Manor that uh, we know that Vandal Savage owns Wayne Manor now from Gotham War. And this is Bruce trying to relate in, to Damien in the midst of Gotham War. What sort of struck me is, remember that uh, this is why I got a disconnect from Gotham War because the, the, the barrage of the different plot points of Gotham or one of them is that the bat, the other members of the bat family think that Bruce Wayne is he, Batman's lost it. He's possessed, you know, a Batman of Jirana and Batman's losing it. And he's, he's, he's almost gone insane and they got it. They got to stop him. Well, this is the most sane I've ever seen Batman ever. This is yeah, the most sane Bruce point. Wayne I've ever seen. I've never seen Bruce Wayne more sane than this opening issue and the rest. And this is out of sync yeah. With the rest of uh, of Gotham War, and because you and yeah. I, I mean, in order to make Gotham War work, you and I really went at it in terms of our opinions. But we can both agree that in order to make Gotham War work, it would make more sense that maybe Batman is a little bit on edge and he's maybe pushing yeah. the envelope, being overly aggressive, yeah. and that's out of sync with this Batman and Robin issue one, uh, which. Other than other than out of sync with Gotham War, I'm more forgiving of the of the of the dialogue and the character as you are, but it still it still makes you think and it even now more problematic maybe depending on how you view Gotham War and not to drudge that up but the the you know white rabbit is the villain here, and you know I guess she's one of the villains that. Doesn't seem to be affected by what Selena is doing. And there, there's still crime. Even even Damien mentions that not all crime was affected by what Selena is doing, which is more in, in sync with your interpretation of Gotham So that seems to be cor- the correct interpretation, or at least what Zardaski and Timmy Howard are probably trying to do. So, you know, Williamson is trying to fit this into that. And if I just sort of relax my brain and try not to synchronize it, I I enjoy this opening issue uh, more. But uh, I suspect that more people will feel like you did than me.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I, I like, I like it a little less now even <laughs> than I did. with you mentioning that I, I totally had spaced over that. Um, I don't know why I didn't realize you're, you're right. I, we've only seen in, in the pages of Gotham war, which I think I've read the first three issues. Cause I've already read next week's Catwoman, um, So I've read the first three parts. We've only seen Batman in the cowl. We haven't seen him as Bruce Wayne. He's only been in the cowl with the exception of, I think the first panel we see him where he's Getting up out of the bed after being asleep for eight weeks. Um, and yeah, he is on edge. He is uh, traumatized. He is on the verge of, of one could argue, has already gone over the edge. Um, but he's about, yeah, he's about, it's about lo- losing control, right? He's no longer in control. And you're right. This is a very sane Bruce Wayne and dealing with Damien and wanting him to go to school and, and what have you. So yeah, that is completely different. <laughs> um characterization for uh, for Bruce. So yeah. I don't know. Ed, we gotta blame that on editorial to be honest. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Batman Incorporated number 12, the final issue. I don't know why there's no um there's no uh credits anywhere in the book. Um so grabbing them from elsewhere. We know it's written by Ed Brisson. Art by John Timms, colors by Rex Locus, letters by Clayton Cowles. Uh I I enjoyed this. I kind of for the exact reason I didn't care for uh, Batman and Robin number one, the interaction between this big cast uh, where I feel, I mean, we're 12 issues in, I feel like I'm finally getting a um, kind of a handle on who's who and the way they act, you know, kind of a little bit of expectations of the way I expect them to act, whether it's the night or, um, uh, or whomever, you know, Uh, even Ghostmaker here kind of does what you sort of have, I've been, Without realizing it when he does it, I sort of have been waiting for this moment with Ghostmaker where he just kind of throws his hands up and says, I can't leave Batman Incorporated. This is not for me. Leave me the hell alone. Stay out of my way. I can't follow Batman's rules. Uh, I think they're stupid. That's not killing rule and whatever. Uh, And with all the fallout between um, the the Joker Incorporated and all the people that were killed and, um, you know, from Ghostmaker's perspective, he's like, yeah, if you would let me do things the way I want to do them, or I think they should be done, then these innocent people wouldn't have been killed um, because I would have got rid of the Joker a long time ago. This makes a lot of sense. This makes a lot of sense. It it does. Uh, It does. (laughs) And and it's not anything that's hasn't been said about um, Batman before. And, And it is interesting. There's such a, a stigma with superheroes killing, right? Um, I, I'm a little more willing to accept it with Batman than I am with Superman. Uh, as long as uh, Batman's not using guns, he'll never use a gun. Uh, and I feel like Batman's a little more, I'm not going to push you off the roof, but I'm also not going to reach my hand down to help you if you're slipping. Um, but that's a little bit more of, I don't know, Batman from, what, what would we say? God, it's, I was going to say 60 years ago, but, but longer than that, right? Like Batman, when he first showed up, you know, the Batman of the thirties and forties um, it, it's a little different, but in more recent uh, time, you know, maybe it has to do with the way society looks at uh, our, our fictions and, you know, worried about influencing children in the wrong way and what have you, where you say, yeah, we don't want uh, Batman. Who's a, certainly a role model these days to, be willing to kill right so you can kind of understand what where the powers that be are coming from uh, at dc but in, in my mind it makes a little bit um it, it's problematic right especially when you talk about you know different versions of batman whether it be christopher nolan or Zack snyder or, or whomever um but in terms of this you know we can only judge this on on its merits and and who batman is right now in the comics and who that is is somebody who doesn't condone killing uh and Somewhat arrogantly says, "Hey, hey we're going to find a better way. We can always find a better way." And you could argue whether that's some power creep on on the part of Batman or not, or the, the writers. Um, but this is what we have uh, to work with. And and so, as I said, it's it's not surprising that Ghostmaker takes this uh, takes this route. Maybe the more surprising thing is how long it took <laughs> it took him to get there. Um, so I, I did enjoy this, but at the same time. I, it does feel a little bit like it feels a little rushed for lack of a better term. Um, I don't know if this was always planned on being a 12 issue mini, but, um, it did feel the resolution felt a little bit convenient, but at the same time it was also really fun. Uh, what I liked about it most, um, while maybe being a little bit uh, of a situation where, okay, so they, they disable the bombs that are, um, implanted in these uh, or some they're not all bombs some are i guess they're all bombs but some are gas some are actually explosives uh but but regardless of whatever booby trap it is that's been implanted surgically in these different members of joker incorporated they're all going to be um activated by radio signal joker's going to hit a button and it's going to send a signal and whatever it is is going to go off so it makes sense that they could all be disabled with uh, an electromagnetic pulse an emp um, it feels a little ex deus machina, uh, to be honest, but it does make sense. Um, but then there's also part of it where it's like, if you guys are so smart, how can not figure this out sooner? But then there's also, because they are so smart. And the thing I loved about it the most <laughs> is that once it's figured out and relayed to members of Batman incorporated there, you know, in, in all their pairs, there's always one of the pairs that's like, Oh, I can build an EMP. Yeah. Just give me 30 <laughs> seconds. And I'll yeah. me grab a hairdryer and a stick of gum and a paperclip and I'll MacGyver this thing together. <laughs> yeah. That's the most comic book thing ever. Right. And it's, and it's just fun. It's just fun that they, they hey, just keep the, keep these, uh, yeah. uh, henchmen off me for a couple minutes and I'll build an EMP and then, you know, it works and the day is saved and what have you. So it's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, the, I, I'm going to miss this series. The art from John Timms really got better with each issue. Um, I loved Ed Brisson's uh, characterization, mostly for the interaction between the characters. And in my mind, it feels like it's just getting started. You take sort of the biggest ego off the page, off the team, uh, with Ghostmaker having left. And I, now I want to see where it goes. Who steps in to fill the void of leadership? Um, you know, what would the, their next challenge be? What would their next mission be? Um, so, again, I, I don't know if it was always planned on 12 issues. Hopefully it'll come back. Um, I guess maybe you need Gotham War to play out. There is, there are rumors that uh, Batman's going to be missing uh, after Gotham War. There will be no Bruce Wayne Batman. Um, so I don't know, but you know, I heard those rumors and and I'm like, well, now in hindsight, are they? You know, Bruce Wayne's not going to be around. It, it was, is that the two months that we already kind of glossed over? Is that the eight weeks when he was asleep or is there more, Hey, we're not going to have Bruce Wayne for a while. um, So who knows maybe uh, what would be cool and interesting and different. Honestly, I I don't see DC doing this because they'd be worried about it hurting sales is for Batman, not to even be in the Batman book for Bruce Wayne, not to even be in the Batman book for, for uh, two months and just have turned it into a Batman incorporated book different, you can do solo, Stories with these members, you could do um, and keep it as is, where you're telling team stories. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, but again, I I have a feeling DC would worry about sales. But uh, anyway, what were your thoughts on this? Uh, I know you said it a little bit of a letdown uh, as it's ending here. So.
1: But I uh, admit well, it's a letdown. And but then I asked myself, well, what was I expecting? And and the fact is, I was I was hoping for a little bit more of a controversial ending. I was hoping more that uh, instead of Ghostmaker just leaving, there there should be a consequence. Uh, and and really, if ever there was a time when Batman should show up at the end, Batman should have showed up at the end and kicked Ghostmaker out, not Ghostmaker just leaving. Uh, that I think that would have been more. Uh, that would have highlighted the more of the drama. And uh, <clears throat> but. But it, it, that's that's a minor nitpick. I don't mean to play script doctor, but I just did. Whatever. Uh, Dark Ranger ends up, uh, uh, Dark Ranger is, is not dead. It appears uh, at the end he we thought he'd been killed. He's not. Uh, so Dark Ranger at the end of this issue at the end of this series is healing. Gyro is, sp- is going to spend more time with his dad. Clown Hunter leaves the team, and the primary core team members left are the Knight, Gray Wolf, Night Runner, and the Batman of China. With uh, Dark Ranger and Gyro probably you know coming back after they uh, do whatever it is they need to do, uh, and uh, the the issue ends with them. Apprehending Die Laughing, who was the one uh, member of Joker Incorporated that provided necessary information to Knight and Grey Wolf to uh, at least inc- uh, to provide to them the the device that they tried to figure out. Uh, ultimately, led to them figuring out to use an electromagnetic pulse to disable the device. I uh, I I would have liked to have seen more more members die. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, I I wish there was more consequence to some of this. Um although I will say that Wingman Wingman did die. Wingman is he never he stayed dead. He's the one man, member of Batman Incorporated that remained dead. A, a Ghostmaker confirms that at the end. Wingman died uh, as, along with uh Charles de Gaulle, the Joker member of Joker Incorporated, and also 30 innocent people died. And it's, there is absolutely no question that if those 30 people could have been saved had they killed the members of Joker Incorporated, then I'm just going to straight up side with Ghostmaker here against all members of Batman Incorporated. There is a very, very compelling and strong argument to eliminate the terrorist. Uh, you don't negotiate with terrorists. That often by implication means you kill them. But I get it. It's a Batman. It's Batman Incorporated. They got to have a code against killing. But this this ongoing sort of ignore, ignoring the fact that by not killing the bad guy you're literally letting civilians die at some point there should be a consequence for that on batman incorporated and i, w- I was kind of hoping ed brison would sort of dive a little bit more into that sort of moral dilemma and the consequences of that and in my view i would have liked to have seen more members of batman incorporated struggle with that and have doubts about that uh but but they all side with batman and you know Where's the fun in that? But uh, I don't want everybody to get along with everybody. But all in all, it, it, it set a nice status quo. I'm looking forward to this team moving forward, and I'm I, I I like Ghostmaker by himself. Give Ghostmaker his own series. Make it more of a more more of a black label series with Ghostmaker. Make him a, an aggressive killer like Batman, but he's got a better sex life. He's got him. He's more violent. Ghostmaker is just more fun than than Batman in, in in my view, in the hands of a good writer and. And I have no problem with that writer is Ed Brisen. Go go full go full killer mode with Ed Brisson and Ghostmaker, I would have no problem with that series. But yeah, I I didn't I didn't mind it, but again, just a tad bit of disappointment. I wanted a little bit more drama in the end.
0: Yeah, even Raven Red, he um he doesn't kill Dusty Bronco for no other reason than he just doesn't. He I can't do it. Uh yeah. So, yeah, it's Man, if somebody beat the crap out of my dad like that, I I don't know that I'd have a hard time. Yeah, I would have a harder time, I guess I should say, than Raven Red did with with Letting Go. So, anyway. Yeah. Uh, All right. Up next, we have Green Lantern 3 from writer Jeremy Adams. Zermanico is the artist. Ramulo Fajardo Jr. handles the colors. Dave Sharp on letters. Hope you all had a chance to listen to my interview with Jeremy last week. Uh, Talked a little bit about why this is a great jumping on point for um, for people that maybe haven't been reading um, Green Lantern. Uh, the Jack Herbert cover with, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Hal is in his Green Lantern suit, but he's flying a jet plane. Looks like uh, maybe an F-14 or
1: F- uh, F-16. F So uh looks cool. Anyway, uh, what were your thoughts on this issue, Rock? I thought this is a jumping on point. It, it, it almost felt like it could have been, Almost the first issue, (laughs) because it, not a heck of a lot, I didn't find a heck of a lot happens. I love cover A, by the way, which shows Hal Jordan fighting Sinestro, but that scene doesn't occur in the comic book at all. This issue just ends with Sinestro meeting Hal Jordan in a bar after after Sinestro gets a bunch of uh, alien co-conspirators and robs and kills a couple of guards at Ferris Aircraft and robs, steals something from Ferris Aircraft. We don't know what it is. And it just ends with uh, Sinestro meeting Hal Jordan uh, in a bar at the end or, or surprising jo- uh, Hal Jordan by showing up at a bar that Hal Jordan w- was at. Uh, the first half of the issue was, uh, was interesting in that it it continues from actually the 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 second issue, the non-night terror issues, and Hell Jordan is falling to Earth, and he he uses the willpower to. Uh, to activate the ring again. And, uh, you know, in your interview with Jeremy Adams, and again, I encourage people to go uh, see it. It was an excellent interview. Jeremy Adams does state the fact that Hell Jordan is still trying to figure out this strange ring because this ring, you know, what exactly are the parameters or, or limits of his power ring abilities now because he got this seemingly off uh, an old Manhunter, you know, Manhunter suit. So it, it seemed, where's, how exactly does it function? Well, it does seem to have, it seems to function in the old ways of the original rings. And uh, Hal Jordan mentioned something that I just had completely forgot about. I didn't realize that the, uh, the Green Lantern can create a construct that actually is something other than the color green. He can actually create a construct of an animal that that looks that looks like in in any color because with green with green light you can change the change the refraction on green light to basically blend in and create any color. And that's what Hal Jordan does. And he ultimately uses that later on in the issue. And so the beginning of the issue, when he, when Hal Jordan's falling to the earth and he interacts with some animals, there's some really nice scenes there. Uh, a, a great chance for uh, Zeranico to uh, uh, really show off his art. The art's fantastic. And, and then, and then the other scene is Sinestro interacting with a, uh, a a couple of corporate head honchos that are actually aliens in disguise. Sinestro essentially wants to use them. He blackmails them by saying, I will let the heroes of this planet know who you are and and what I think you're up to, but uh, I won't if you help me out. And how exactly they help Sinestro out, we're not sure, but Sinestro's accomplished something that involves the theft of something from Ferris aircraft. He he did kill some people, uh, a couple of guards of Ferris aircraft, uh, and it's uh, clearly sinestro's up to something but we still don't know what that is we don't know why sinestro's trapped on earth why he's why he's on earth why he's in the situation he's in so we're three issues in and we still don't know exactly what's going on with sinestro but um uh, again fantastic art and again i'm i'm definitely coming back for more and uh, it's not Jeremy Adams' fault that he got sidetracked because of night terrors like everybody else did. But uh, I'm still invested in this story. But I will say that it this feels a little bit like it. I wish we'd have got a little bit more substance in this issue. But that might just be a sign of my excitement because I have a feeling that we're going to be heading somewhere I- exciting here. Because Jeremy Adams hinted in your interview again that Hell's uh, not going to be staying on Earth forever. So I'm really curious to see what happens.
0: Yeah, I think uh, this is the first time we really find out what Sinestro's up to. I mean, we don't find out fully, but we see some of his actions. So I think Jeremy probably, and I should have asked him this, he probably didn't want to introduce that stuff too early because knowing he was going to have the the two-issue break, I mean, it was just such terrible timing. Um, So that being said, this is the first time we get a chance to see Sinestro. He did also mention he didn't want to drag that out, right? Like, you're three-quarters of the way through the issue. You find out Sinestro's had some sort of attack on Ferris aircraft. We don't exactly know why. Other than maybe uh, for the the psychological effects that it'll have on Hal, letting Hal know, hey, I'm on Earth, and you have no idea what I'm up to. And you, you at that point, you sort of think, well, yeah, we're going to be in for this multi-issue arc where Hal's searching around, trying to figure out how his ring works while trying to hunt down Sinestro. Where is he at? And then Jeremy flips it, right? Pulls the rug out from under us. And at the end, Sinestro goes looking for Hal and finds him without much effort. So skip over that whole, you know, chase cat and mouse sort of thing. Well, I like that. So, yeah, I, while you're right, this didn't have a ton of, uh, of action, there were some cool moments, especially we'll call out the Hans Gruber moment with uh, what Jeremy and I talked about uh, <laughs> yeah. where Sinestro shows up in the back of a van, uh, you know, back of its, thrown don't open at Ferris aircraft, walks in to do his, his heist or what have you. Um, so again, we'll find out what he stole and what that's all about and, uh, and what's going on with Sinestro in, uh, in subsequent issues. But I, I think we sort of needed this issue, first of all, to reestablish, remind us where Hal is, remind us that Hal's ring is not a normal ring. Jeremy mentioned it in the issue, how it's probably still has the, um, the weakness to yellow uh, and and it can um, make more realistic constructs constructs rather than just green constructs. Which, according to Jeremy, um, he wasn't one hundred percent. He acknowledged the fact that he could be wrong, but um, something that, like that that hasn't been seen since the Silver Age. Um, so yeah, it's a great jumping on point. If you haven't been reading Green Lantern, you can pick this up, jump right on. But uh, mentioned this when uh, he and I were talking. Um, there's only two issues out so far. They haven't sold out at the distributor level. So you probably can still find those two issues. And I do recommend picking them up um, if, you, if you can find them. So, uh, all right. Up next, we have uh, Danger Street number nine. Well, no, there's, there's the
1: backup. Sorry, Rise of the Revenue. Oh, oh, the backup that's right. By Philip Kennedy that's Johnson. Right.
0: That's right. <laughs> I forgot about the backup, uh, which, you know, Jeremy and I touched on as well. Uh, so the backup is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson uh, sorry, I'm just trying to get it back open again. Uh, and it, it leads directly into, uh, events that are happening in John Stewart war journal. Uh, again, hope you guys had a chance to listen to my chat with Philip Kennedy Johnson from a few weeks ago, uh, where we discussed what to uh, expect coming up in that series. Um, but beyond the art in this, um, which is really, uh, really great. Um, from Montos, who's the same uh, artist who's doing the regular series. Colors by Adriana Lucas, letters by Dave Sharp. Beyond uh, that, there's just a, a sense of real menace from this Revenant queen um, and how that's going to play out in the pages of uh, John Stewart Word Journal. So I, I do think that it would have been better had all three of these the uh parts of the story, which basically you get three eight pagers, so it's the equivalent of one issue of a of a comic. It would have been better had it all come out before that first issue of Green Lantern War Journal. I think you should read these three and then go back and reread Green Lantern War Journal number one because it does give more context. Um so yeah I'm in, I'm enjoying this. Um I I am more interested in Jon Stewart than I have been maybe ever, uh which Philip Kennedy Johnson and I talked about, um, it, just a more interesting take. Uh, as powerful as as John Stewart was in the hands of like Jeffrey Thorne uh, and ha- as much of a leader, as important as he has been uh, in terms of a linchpin of the Green Lantern Corps, this feels like a more human John Stewart, a more fallible John Stewart. And uh, I say that knowing that he still has a lot of those same powers that, Jer- that Jeffrey Thorne gave him. Uh, but he feels more relatable and more interesting to me as opposed to this two-dimensional, I'm a Marine, hurrah, I have a power ring and I always win the day. Um, you know, the Jon Stewart that's haunted by what happened in the pages of Mosaic with the, the uh, planet Zanesh um, or Zanshi or whatever it's called. Um, a John Stewart that is, uh, is a little bit dealing with PTSD you know that's showing some chinks in his armor so to speak um, that isn't just the, the macho gung-ho, two-dimensional military uh, characterized John Stewart that's more interesting to me that's more relatable to me so uh yeah check this out Make sure you read the backup
1: and uh yeah hope you're reading john Stewart war journal as well yeah you I think like of the I like uh, this Lantern Shepherd that that who's from another multiverse, and there's there's a John Stewart and this Lantern Shepherd who are from the this other universe where the Revenant Queen escapes. The Revenant Queen escapes the clutches of this very powerful iteration of jo- of John Stewart and this Shepherd Green Lantern in this other universe, and Shepherd this. Lantern Green Lantern named Shepherd is sent throughout the multiverse to find the Revenant K- Queen and he's told by that universe's John Stewart that when you get to whatever universe she's in you want to find the Revenant Queen or you want to find the John Stewart of that universe first before you take on the Revenant Queen uh, I think there's an assumption by by the by the other John Stewart that Earth 0 John Stewart is maybe just as powerful as he is. And that's probably a, a safe assumption. But this is a very different uh, very different type of Jon Stewart than the other universe's Jon Stewart, who seems to have fully embraced all his power. This Jon Stewart seems uh, much more sort of laid back, wanting to maybe escape that life. And um, it's going to be interesting to see. You, you hinted at it. Maybe he does have some PTSD. Maybe he's got some other issues he's dealing with. And it's it's gonna it's gonna be very interesting. I'm I'm very intrigued to see where Philip Kennedy Johnson takes this story. Because once that once Lantern Shepherd finds him and the revenant and he takes on this Sh- revenant queen who the, who Earth Zero John Stewart has never faced before, it's going to be a real test for John Stewart. And uh, this this new Green Lantern Shepherd is is going to confront a John Stewart who probably isn't as experienced as the John Stewart that he's accustomed to seeing in the other universe where Jon Stewart is like the legend. He's like Hal Jordan's status. (laughs) And so it's it's pretty cool. And it's a way of, I like what Philip Kennedy Johnson's doing. He's given a lot of gravitas and agency to Jon Stewart, propping him up and giving him the sort of respect that he deserved in much the same way that I think Jeffrey Thorne really very much attempted to do in his run, but because it got drowned out in maybe some all different kinds of plots. Maybe Jeffrey Thorne wasn't quite as successful as maybe uh, uh, PKJ is going to attempt to to make it for Jon Stewart. So very interesting to see what will happen.
0: Yeah, looking forward to it. And Jeremy also mentioned there at some point there is a collision course that these two series are on. Um, So how that crossover will work. And he teased something coming next summer. sounds like maybe a big Green Lantern event. Um, so we'll see how that plays out as well. All right, now we're on the Danger Street book nine. Uh, Doctor Fate is the title of it, which is interesting because <laughs> nobody shows up in this issue except for Manhunter and um, what, what's the other guy's name? Can't even remember. Uh, 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 Code name Assassin. Uh, yeah, Code name Assassin. I kept thinking Assassin, but I knew it was uh, more than that. Yeah, Code name Assassin. They're basically the only two characters that show up here. Uh, in this, uh, in this ninth issue. So, uh, written by Tom King, Jorge Fornes handles the art, Dave Seward on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. Uh, yeah. Take it away, Rocky. What'd you think?
1: Um, I was, uh, this was the first, uh, fairly significant miss for me. From this series. I've been loving this series. Uh, you and I both have been really loving what Tom King's been putting out lately. Uh, in fact, I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to think of something. I'd have to go back to his Batman Catwoman series, which was something I demonstrably did not like. But pretty much everything Tom, else Tom King has done, I've really been enjoying. And I've really been enjoying in Danger Street, the previous eight issues of Danger Street, I've really enjoyed. But man, it came to a crashing halt, my enjoyment with this issue. And, and bottom line is this entire issue, all of the pages, every single page, it's, there's literally, there's eight panels on every single page, every single page, the, are, are, and it's all one long fight scene and one long conversation between these epic warriors, these great assassins, the man hunter who always finds his man, and Codename Assassin, who also always completes a mission. They they are both very uh, supremely intelligent. They're both devious. They're both killers. And they this entire issue consists of a conversation where they sort of, Try to psychologically read each other and physically read each other's body movements, etc., etc. And I, I, I read this issue three times, and I, I kept looking for trying to find some hidden meeting or some something in in the issue, and something to hang my hat on to to really enjoy. And I didn't find it. I, I just found I found it pretentious. I found it almost just almost laughable at points uh how they end up uh, what they end up how they end up treating each other and talking to each other and how it ends up re- resolving itself and it's it's unclear who won the battle i'm not sure if they both died at the end or if they're you know at one point manhunter at i think at one point ends up losing um frankly uh losing a limb and um And then Codename Assassin is stabbed, and I'm not sure exactly who won or if it was a draw or where it's going to lead to because it just, it ends very abruptly. So not only was this like a, whatever, a 30-page fight scene or whatever how many pages there are, but there was, this was... uh, this was disappointing me and artistically it was extremely disappointing because the eight panel gr- grid became so monotonous after a while. There was no double page spread. Uh I- I've done a thumbnail for those who are just listening on the podcast and can't see it. I did a thumbnail that I think is more exciting than the entire issue artistically. Obviously I use the art, for, but where I just, I-, I at least stand them off It's a full page spread of, of, uh, of Manhunter and Codename Assassin sort of, you know, fencing off against, you know, squaring off against each other. Uh, that to me is cool, is epic. But we got no double page spread. And I just, artistically, this was an opportunity for the art, artist to really shine because uh, artistically, uh, Jose, uh, uh, is it, uh, who's the artist here? Um, Jorge Farnes. Jorge Farnes. I mean, he's a fantastic artist. He, but but the, obviously, whatever... I know I'm familiar enough, we're familiar enough with his work that obviously he had a game plan here and this had to have been specifically planned, but I was so disappointed with this. I, I never got whatever Tom King was trying to accomplish. This is why I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Maybe, you will, maybe you'll enlighten me as to what I missed, but I just thought this was a significant miss for me. I thought this was boring. Uh, every single issue prior to this one, we were interspersed with different scenes. We, because there was multiple players and we kept going back and forth to different... And this was the first issue where we focused exclusively on this big battle and it doesn't really end. We don't really... It's unclear as to how it ends and it's so long and drawn out and it, I just... It was a miss for me and this was the first significant miss for me in this entire series. I can't wait till it resumes because I miss the other characters. But I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this. But this was a significant miss for me.
0: Yeah, so I think that was the point, right? Like the fact that all along we've had these uh, different plot threads, different characters. have been spotlight's been on all of them, and you and I have both remarked on how incredible it is that um, King can take these seemingly disparate characters of, you know, Lady Cop and Green Team and Outsiders and you know Manhunter, Warlord, Starman, uh, and and weave a story that makes sense um and that's been what's so interesting uh but leave it to king to uh you you could look at it one of two two ways he either shoots himself in the foot here or he he flips the script and focuses just on a few minutes uh this fight between these two characters who are you know to steal a line from across the street who are the best they are at at what they do um it, it makes it stand out that much more right um so it's either going to really work and you're going to like the issue a lot and appreciate kind of the, uh, the experimentation and storytelling style uh, and the irony of, of what's going on here, what's happening. Or you're going to think, oh, my God, I just want the regular story. Why is it this was felt interminable? There's so much text to read, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I, I fall into the, uh, the former camp. I thought it was brilliant. It, it's such a ju- juxtaposition, right? Like when you think about, uh, and we'll talk about this when we get to um, Waller versus Wildstorm I and Wildstorm versus Waller or what have you, you think about assassins, you think about people like Deathstroke and what they do, and it's it's so matter of fact, right? Uh, you don't think about it. They're going to kill whoever they're going to kill. You can't stop them. They're so good. And there's uh, there's a perception that they're very cunning, right? But you don't necessarily think of them as, really intelligent on that level right like really genius level intelligence in terms of having this morality and this grasp of uh philosophy and the way things work uh you know with life and kind of these big philosophical esoteric concepts so i i just found that to be really interesting that that tom king took these two guys or you could think of as just kind of Gritty street-level killers who uh, just make their money and, and make their living by killing people, and he uh, ascribes these personality uh, traits to them, where they they're really sort of transcending this idea of like the the mob hitman, uh, you know, unintelligent, just soldier following orders kind of uh, cliche that so many storytellers use or. Uh, the, the cliche that's the perception that a lot of readers have both manhunter and Codename assassin they have a very meta understanding of who they are and who each other is and they're they're sort of diametrically opposed with the way they look at things the way they look at life and death and why they do what they do um and that's why they're having this discussion right it's not really an argument it's not really a fight when you t- talk just in terms of their debate, their verbal debate. Um, and then at the end, what they come to realize and what we as readers come to realize sooner than they do, because um, it becomes a much more obvious to the reader uh, as they're espousing these ideals, uh, they're much more alike, if not exactly alike, than they are different. Obviously, their powers is a little bit different. Their abilities are a little bit different, what have you. But uh, in terms of the way they see things, the way they see the world, um, they come at it from a different angle, but it's closer to being the same than it is to being different. Um, so, so so interesting, right, that King really goes overboard here with the amount of dialogue and how long it takes to read the issue. But as I'm reading this and going, oh, my God, the, the, the concepts these guys are putting out there are so heady, right? They're so highbrow and, and high level um and you, you just don't expect that, but there, there, there's sort of this humor, this really dr- sort of dry sort of humor um, in the fact that these two hitmen who make their living doing maybe the simplest thing there is to do just, Hey, I'm just going to kill a guy. Cause I'm being paid to do it. Um, you know, that's juxtaposed against these uh, this sort of genius level of philosophical intellect that each of them has. So I found that to be really, really fun. Um, I think again, the eight, uh, panel grid is intentional because it does allow us to have Manhunter on the left and Codename Assassin on the right and really trade back and forth between the two to give us, you know, that real back and forth feel. So, uh, I, I get it. I get what you're saying, right? In terms of this being really different from every issue that's come before. And if that's your expectation, I could see how some people could be disappointed in this. For me, it worked. I think for a number of people, it's probably not going to work. Um, but I give King and uh, I give King credit for trying number one, and I give Jorge Fornes and Dave Stewart who did a lot of heavy lifting. There's a lot of lettering to be done. Uh, I give them a lot of credit um, for making this work you know, visually. So, uh, which is not always easy to do. Fornes' line work is superb, and his storytelling is very, very good. So it's got to be a challenge for Dave Stewart to be sure not to, to cover up that art uh, and really make it work. So uh, I think I said Dave Stewart, Dave Stewart's a color artist. Clayton Cowles uh, is the letter who does really superb work on this. So yeah, for me, it worked. Um, but that being said, it certainly isn't my favorite. Uh, not my favorite issue of the series. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's my least favorite either. I, I don't know that I could pick a least favorite, but, um, but I did appreciate it for what it was. I appreciated what what King was trying to do. But I totally get your criticism, and I think it's perfectly valid. For a lot of people, it's like, okay, I see what you did there. I, I, I see the joke. You know, sort of a highbrow, dry humor type joke. You could have made that joke. The argument is going to be made, and this may be a legitimate argument. You could have you could have pulled that joke off in like three pages. You know, you didn't need to take the whole issue. You know, there might might be some truth to that. Um, But I'm not going to begrudge King the – got to give it to him, right? He stuck to his guns. He's like, I'm going to make this joke. I'm going to make this point. I'm going to do this fight between these two this way. And I'm going to take the whole issue because it really sells it. It really sells how um, evenly matched these guys are. And, uh, who knows? It, it might, there might be something coming in the last four issues here, um, that harkens back to this and gives it more context and, you know, gives more of a reason why it needed to take a whole issue. So, um, uh, so we'll see. But yeah, other than these two guys, nobody else shows up. We do get the Commodore's voice, um, over the phone, but other than that, yeah, it's just these two guys beating the
1: shit out of each other, basically. Um, yeah. so. That yeah. that's really it. It's just sort of like, you know, I was hoping that maybe they'd come to some deep realization, but but the realization was, as you say, that they, they're more alike than not. And and they even kind of they both know that they're both pawns. They both acknowledge that they're pawns, but they can't overcome their assassin nature. They they need to complete their job. They want to kill each other. That's their job. So, and they, they even hint at knowing that there's more at stake here than just their lives. Uh, and yet, they 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 almost refuse to to embrace the bigger picture and maybe you know work together. I mean, these these guys are not going to work together. They pretend they almost mislead or try to deceive each other, but they still ultimately go back to their nature of being killers and and they want to fulfill the mission, fulfill a job of killing each other. And 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 there's no question that 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 comes through. I don't know if I needed whatever every single page to, to 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 convey that but as you said i think it could have been done over five or six pages interspersed in the same pattern that king had embraced in the previous issues but either way it's a very interesting issue and it's going to be interesting to see how how you know other reviewers overall not just you and i how this will go over with a lot of others because we we got the nine panel grids now we got the eight panel grids for battles (laughs) i personally would prefer not to see this again but if we did i'd like a little bit more maybe less talky talky more more graphic nature you know although we did get you know we did get a one leg cut off here which was maybe kind of cool to see but uh in any event
0: interesting yeah well i mean we got a leg cut off and we got a um we got one of them that was, you know, actually I think they both were run all the way through with swords. Yep. So yeah, there's plenty of blood, plenty of blood, plenty of action. So, uh, all right. Up next, we have Superman lost number six, uh, plot and script by Christopher priest, Carlo pugulian on plot and art, Jason pause on inks, Jeremy Cox on colors.
1: What'd you think? Uh, this, uh, this was, I, I almost kind of, Predictable. I, I I was surprised at how predictable this this was. I was actually, um, we the bulk of this issue has uh, Superman on on his planet where he's basically lost on. And what I what I what writer Christopher Priest sort of establishes here, I thought was something uh, quite interesting, and in that the the people of this planet that uh, that that Clark is on is they they actually get sick of Clark. Superman wants to save the people on the planet. The planet's going to be destroyed. And what Christopher Priest does is that he almost establishes Clark as being in the same position as his father, Jor-El, was on Krypton. Superman knows that the planet's going to be destroyed, but he can't convince the world's leaders on the planet that he's on that their planet's going to be destroyed. And even as the help of a Green Lantern named Hope, that who even, you know, she's, she's got an agenda of her own. She loves, she loves Clark. And she's, she even killed, uh, one of Clark's friends, Jimmy, who was going to tell Clark 10, you know, 10 years ago, he was going to disclose to Clark that about the, about this time displacement, a phenomena in space that it's a, it operates on 20 year intervals and you can go, you can find your way back home and, th- and this is how you do it. But hope doesn't want to lose Clark. So she sabotaged that last issue by killing Jimmy. And you know, here in this issue, you know it 's years later, and it 's discovered that Clark himself is is, uh, is having no success convincing the, the the leaders of this particular world that they 're going to be destroyed in fact he 's only managed to be successful in uniting the world against him. The greatest irony it 's like the tragedy of Krypton all over again, and the curse that befell uh, Joral now befalls Clark Joral failed to save krypton no one the world re- leaders on Krypton didn't believe Jor-El and no one on this planet believes uh, Superman and it's really tragic. And in fact, what I find really kind of funny is that the, the leaders on this planet built an ark and Superman thought that they were building an ark to save as many people as they can from, from the planet being ultimately being destroyed. But no, they built the ark as a fail-safe device to get Superman off and send him home to get him off the planet. That's how much this planet hates Superman. I thought that was a little bit over the top. I, I thought... I I that's the one maybe criticism I'm not sure how this planet you know it's Christopher Priest he's clearly making a statement maybe about how he maybe feels about our our planet is could our world be so blinded by our own intra bigotry and 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 noise that we and and our culture wars that we that we ignore the truth when it's staring us in the face because the people of this planet seem to be ignoring the fact ignoring the facts that they're going to die their their planet is going to be destroyed but there's so much interpolitical wrangling between them it's the cultures the way they intermingle are so toxic that they they can't see the truth no matter what superman does and they go so far as to build an an arc as a failsafe device to get Superman away from their world. And ultimately it's, it's more or less successful. Clark ends up going on this arc to basically leave the planet. And unfortunately his powers, which have been slowly draining from him over the last, you know, 20 odd years, Thirteen or so years, he ends up. Uh, he ends up at the very end getting sort of sucked into a wormhole and 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 basically about to be destroyed, killed. Uh, but and suddenly, an, an older version of himself rescues him, warning him not to do what he's about to do. And so, we obviously we got some time shenanigans, some time displacement going on, and suggestion that Superman meets his future self. And so, there's a lot of there's a lot of Christopher Priest is doing his own comic book science here and working with some time travel and what have you and but I thought that the the broader moral questions here and what it says about this world and and perhaps for those of us who choose to see it how it perhaps reflects the darker nature of her own, I found very interesting and especially I saw a juxtaposition between Clark and his father Jarell there, and the tragedy of it sort of repeating itself and then, when you compound that with the fact that hope his who he considered his friend was responsible for killing Jimmy and preventing Superman from knowing that he had the means to escape all for all these these years and did not, and she did nothing because she 's afraid of losing his love Uh I think Christopher Priest has done a good job here. This is this is I think a thought-provoking issue and I uh, I don't I don't mind the politics of it here. Uh to me this is an issue that I don't mind politics or or philosophies that make you think and maybe question the nature of our own world and that's what this did and I enjoyed this overall. Um but again, oddly enough, it felt like and yet it felt like almost predictable. I I think this theme was Christopher Priest did such a good job laying the foundation for where he was going in previous issues that it, it didn't feel surprising where this issue took me, but uh, took took the reader. But so overall, I guess I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I enjoy it more now that I've articulated myself right now. So what do you think of it?
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think that uh, it was a little bit predictable, a little bit paint by numbers. Superman is Superman. He's going to react. He's going to, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a way that, you can again sort of predict uh so despite the people not wanting you know in spite of the people not wanting to listen to them to him or uh being finally united but just in their desire to have him leave the planet it, it all makes sense um maybe the only surprising thing but even this when you stop and think about it is not so surprising he almost seems to have a romantic relationship with this uh green lantern hope who you mentioned killed this kid jimmy who was uh clark's first friend on this planet uh planet kansas as he calls it um and he it sort of took me out of the story a little bit i, was, I don't know how realistic that is that hope could kill this kid and and clark not realize um it, she's sort of um codependent dialed up to 11 <laughs> when you think about it right yeah she kills this kid because she's so afraid of being alone. She doesn't want Clark to go back to Earth. Um, How did he not see that? How did he not realize, especially being that this story, you go back to the time that Jimmy first showed up and then Hope showed up and they've been living together. We're we're talking about decades here. Um, So I mean, have they been physically affectionate? It's sort of implied, but maybe not 100%. So it goes back to oh, how could he have missed this? Well, I give credit to Christopher Priest for at least addressing that when Clark realizes what Hope has done, um, which kind of loses it thinking that he may be leaving anyway on this arc, uh, as you called it, that the, um, with the star drive that the, the uh, governments of of Kansas have built and want to use to get rid of him. Um, she sort of loses it. And, and he says, he's like, God, I, how did I miss this? I was so – Wrapped up on my own self pity and you know self absorbed and what have you um, that I didn't even see what you know what was right in front of my face. So at, le- at least priest um, addressed that. You, you sort of hope that and and the whole idea of Superman is better than us, right? That's something that I would do or something that you might do. Mm-hmm. Um, be so wrapped up in our own problems that we sort of miss the forest for the trees. Superman's supposed to be better than that, but at the same time you wanna tell interesting stories, um, sometimes you gotta uh, take a little bit of a different tack. So uh, if you w- watch this on YouTube, everybody, Rocky does have the cover, the Gary Frank cover uh, up, which is really fantastic. Sort of mimics the symbol on Superman's chest there with um, the personal survival kit, white suit that he has with his old, a picture of himself. In the background there in the shape of an s so yeah i'm I'm really enjoying this series the carlo pagulian art is is just second to none issue after issue after issue it's absolutely fantastic so um this is gonna this is this is one of these series i'm enjoying each individual issue each individual issue is really good um that being said it is a christopher priest story often his stories are, can be a little esoteric and they can be a little complicated and they read great in big chunks. So as much as I'm enjoying each individual issue, I'm really looking forward, as soon as the last issue comes out, I'll probably go back and reread the whole thing in one sitting. I, I might, when the last issue is out, what I might even do is just, I probably shouldn't do this because it's going to give different context to the final issue, but I may just start with issue one and read it all the way through and then get a chance to read that ending for the last time. Um, that's how much I'm enjoying this. I just think it's fantastic.
1: I think this is going to read really well as a trade because it it actually reads pretty well, even as, as individual issues, but as a trade, it might even read much better. And uh, I I, I should, I should add to that at the end, at the back of this issue, there's a preview. uh, There is a preview of Wonder Woman issue one. And uh, which are pages that have been added to Superman Lost at the end of it, at least in our preview copies. So just for those who are curious, that that's not the case for uh, some of the other, oddly enough, for some of the other issues that come out this week. Uh, not all of them have a Wonder Woman issue one preview, so might be worth checking out for some.
0: Yeah, I think that Wonder Woman issue one comes out next week. We should have a, probably have a deep dive um, dedicated episode to that, just so we shall. Yes, we will. Uh, all right. Up next, we have World's... Finest Teen Titans number three, written by Mark Waid, Amania Lupikino, is the artist, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Steve Wands. The Titans go to Titans Con. It's basically what Mark Waid's idea of a comic book convention is, uh, but dedicated to the Titans. And they all go there except for Robin, who uh, Batman encourages not to go. He's like, you shouldn't be getting that close to the public. You're risking your secret identity. You need to, you know, kind of have that separation Robin's making the argument that Wally made. Hey, this is getting um, the Titans out there, letting people know that we're around so that we can help. Well, it goes about as well as you would expect with a bunch of rabid con goers and, um, um, you know, mob mentality, as it were. And the Titans feel a little bit overwhelmed. Their personal boundaries aren't necessarily uh, respected. And then this sort of scuzzy, sloppy, long haired kid shows up uh, wearing some pink sunglasses Um, he, he almost has like a poor man's gambit costume on and apparently he's, um, he has some magical abilities and he uses some spells and he attacks the Titans with the apparent uh, intention of kidnapping, um, Bumblebee wants to have some sort of romantic relationship with her sort of creepy. As I said, yeah, Uh, Robin shows up. I don't know. It's not exactly explained why he shows up. He realizes they're in trouble or what have you. Uh, But he shows up and kind of says, Hey, don't you see this guy over here with the hand gestures? He's the one who's causing all the problems. Uh, Bumblebee takes him out and uh, they save the day. Uh, But at the end, uh, we see that the kid, while being taken to jail, um, some mysterious figure uh, breaks him out of the police car he's in and says, uh, Welcome to the Terror Titans. So uh, apparently we're getting the Terror Titans in the pages of Teen Titans. So th- this was just okay for me. Probably my least favorite of these uh, World's Finest Teen Titans issues so far. also felt like the art was a little bit rushed. It uh, wasn't quite as um, as exciting as it has been in the past. Uh, and the colors, uh, you know, I get that this book is, it's strange. We've talked about, you know, the setting, the timing of it before. It's it's the Titans at the beginning of um, their journey together as, as Titans. Um, but yet it's sort of in modern day because they have, you know, cell phones and all that sort of stuff. I, I'm guessing that's the reason why they do such a muted palette, but this isn't really a traditional superhero book. So in my mind, it would work a lot better with more primary colors that are brighter and pop off the page a little more um, instead of them feeling a little dull, which it, – it it doesn't make it dreary, so to speak, but it, it doesn't make it a, like an exciting read either. I think with more primary colors that pop off the page more, I it, it would just have a more exciting feel for, for the book rather than feeling um,
1: a little pedestrian, so – What'd you think of this? I, I I thought it was okay. I it's it's you know it's I have a mixed feelings about it because I don't I don't mind a Silver Age kind of feel, uh, and I I know what Mark Wade's trying to do, but I found I found myself pretty bored with this issue. I didn't find it exciting, and but I know what Mark Wade's trying to do, and and I have to say this is probably really accessible to brand new readers because one of the things that does need to be done, and Mark Wade is doing it, he's saying, look, if the Titans in their formative years... Actually existed in current continuity. That would be ten years ago. There would be Comic Cons ten. There were t- Comic Cons ten years ago. There were social media ten years ago. And he's updating it. He's updating the history of the Teen Titans in a way that needs to be done. So this 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 has to be done this way. I just don't find it all that exciting, to be honest. Although in fair, in defense of Mark Wade, he's he's introducing potentially new characters. Uh, I think Emanuela Lapicino's art. Uh, I think it is appropriate and it, it's fitting. Uh, I, I actually like her her particular. Style I, I always have since I I think I first became familiar with her style on, on Wonder Woman uh, in some some issues of Wonder Woman but in any event I thought this was interesting the fact that the Titans th- they're going to learn the hard way the the foolishness of you know. Having Comic-Cons named after yourself, revealing your secret identity, or not revealing your secret identity, but but potentially putting in danger your the revelation of your secret identity. And Batman state has states the obvious to Rob, and that's why he doesn't let Dick Grayson join his friends at Titan. Rob, Dick Grayson wants to join them. He wants to join his friends, but Batman won't let him go. He puts his foot down saying, you're not going, you're not going to, I'm not going to have our, our identity is compromised because you want to hang out with a bunch of teenagers that are basically a comic book expo. That's kind of what he says. And it's hard not to agree with Batman. He's right on this. Uh, but green, uh, red arrow, I guess, uh, pardon me, uh, uh, it's red arrow, I guess, but, the future the future arsenal <laughs> you know roy harper is just kind of being a dick here and you can see you can see the beginnings of of the conflict that are ultimately that they're going to have that will lead to them probably make more adult decisions as they grow older as a team uh, aqualad is still uh is still dating Donna Troy. So that dysfunctional relationship has yet to fall apart. We already know why it will fall apart. We kind of saw that last issue. They're they're really they're, they're not a good fit, and uh, so Mark Wade's doing everything right. I just find myself strangely not particularly. I don't find it really compelling. I don't find this really all that interesting. Uh, although uh, that might change, we shall see.
0: Yeah, I mean. These are established characters. Uh, the, the relationships, the dynamics, and what have you are established as well. So, but this this is an interesting take, being that it's you know the beginnings in modern times, as we've said. So, uh, all right, last book we're going to talk about in detail: Waller versus Wildstorm, number three, from writers Spencer Ackerman and Evan Narcisse. Jesus Moreno handles pencils and inks on pages one through five. Vicente Safuentes uh, handles inks on pages. Six through thirty-two. Michael Ateya on colors. Dave Sharp on letters. This is um, this is Deathstroke trying to take out King, trying to take out uh, his uh, enemy or, or Amanda Waller's enemy, I guess you'd say, because he does. Uh, Slade does try to blow him up in this intercontinental hotel in Gamora. Um, yeah. <laughs> And when he blows it up and Amanda Waller says, uh, does, you know, does that mean the target's down? And he says, well, if he doesn't come rocketing down here to beat my ass, then yeah. But unfortunately, King does just that. And uh, a battle ensues where uh, Deathstroke takes the, the low road, as you would expect him to do, to save his own skin, threaten some civilians um, that King has to save. Uh, meanwhile, Lois Lane is continuing her investigation, runs into Philip Marlowe in Gamora and he kind of gives her a lowdown on um, some of the things that are going on that uh, the general public isn't aware of that doesn't exactly paint Amanda Waller in a, in a good light, I guess you'll say. And that's about as simplistic as I can make the story, because again, there's a lot of backstabbing and betrayal and deceit and what have you. It's a very political book and um, very complicated, as I I mentioned uh, at the beginning and with the two month break, it's, hard exactly to remember. This is another one, much like Superman Lost, would read much better in a collected edition. Um, but even then, I sort of feel like this level of complication in a comic isn't really for the best. Um, Spencer Ackerman is more known for writing prose. I think it's it's easier to do this sort of storytelling in prose uh, because you just have so much more real estate with Uh, the written word, as opposed to being restricted. Um, And there are things uh, being restricted in in a comic with how much, you know, actual words you can have. Um, You expect the visuals to do a lot of the heavy lifting, but it's sometimes it's hard to convey really complex uh, emotions and storytelling beats and betrayals and what have you in, uh, in just a straight visual. And even if you do a brilliant job of it, that doesn't mean that the, reader or the person who's looking at the pictures is going to pick up on it uh as opposed to in a in a book in a prose novel it's right there and if you read the words as long as they're words in a language you understand you're going to know what's going on uh in in a way um that type of storytelling prose storytelling is a little bit more spoon feeding the story to the reader as opposed to expecting the reader to do some of the work uh like a a comic sort of has those expectations or has that requirement. So, um, yeah, this is, it just might not be working as a comic, but it's hard to say. Uh, I do think you got to read it all. And when sitting all four oversized issues, they're all like 32 pages, I think. So they're all about the length of a comic and a half. So you end up with about six six books worth of story when it's all said and done. And I think it, it will be, an entertaining story when it's all said and done, if not a little overwrought and a little more complicated than it, uh, than it needs to be. Yeah. Um, but on the positive side, it does appear that Amanda Waller may get some comeuppance, which that's always a good thing in my mind. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see if she gets away with it. Then maybe, you know, I might be ranting and raving next time going, God, this series was terrible. She got away with it. Amanda Waller, she's such a scumbag. Um, Anyway, the art is fantastic from Jesus Moreno. That cannot be argued in my mind. Um, beautifully colored. Um, you know, we, we do get a, a lot of action. That fight between uh, Slade and King is uh, is interesting, and uh, Moreno does a good job of uh, of keeping it visually interesting as well. Because a lot of times, and this has been the case with this book throughout. When you're talking about a political book, a book with a lot of betrayal and espionage and political intrigue, it tends to be a little bit of a talking head book, right? Like it's a bunch of people getting these ideas across by talking to one each other or or debating with one another. And that can lead to boring issues. Uh, But even in the scenes with Marlo and Lois Lane walking and talking, um, Moreno does a good job of keeping it visually
1: interesting. So got to give him credit for that. Uh, What are your thoughts on this one, Rock? Well, I actually, I was actually intrigued with this because the way I read this issue is that I actually, it reached a point where, you know, Waller and King, King wanted to take down Amanda Waller. King believed very strongly that Amanda Waller was making a power move and was the true villain here. But it ends up, at least if this issue is accurate, if I read this accurate, it it looks like Adele, Deathstroke's, Slade Wilson's. Ex-wife is the is the true villain. She it, Amanda Waller did not plan, nor did Amanda Waller want King to be actually killed, like he ultimately ended up being by by Deathstroke in this issue. Uh, Amanda Waller was, I think, taken aback and surprised by Adele making uh, the power move that she did, and. You know, because this is a younger Amanda Waller. This is Amanda Waller at the beginning of her career. I don't think she's necessarily as hard ass or badass as she will, we know she will ultimately become. And I know you don't like Amanda Waller, and I know she's a real, she's really turned into some badass villain, it would appear in the current DC universe. Uh, but what I found interesting in this issue is that I got the impression that Amanda Waller almost felt bad about what ultimately the fate that happened to King here. And And when when Marlow shows up as basically the janitor (laughs) who worked for for Checkmate, but he knew all this information that he relayed to Lois Lane about the true agenda of Checkmate as ultimately being to take, to create, to be, to have Checkmate be at the forefront of the metahuman superpowers, uh, the metahuman Cold War that will ultimately arise. They want to be at the forefront of that and how they want to take out King because King would basically expose all that. Uh, I, I thought it worked really well. Slave Wilson was a is absolutely he's a deadly assassin here. He, uh, his cruelty that he shows toward King, the, the fate that King ultimately suffers in this issue. This is graphic. This is hardcore. This is definitely what one consider to be black label, and and even the the fate of Lois Lane. Uh, if it wasn't for Amanda Waller stepping in. Uh, and you know Adele, uh, Lois Lane could have been killed in this issue too. I thought the stakes were high. I felt the gravity of the situation. I got to give Spencer Ackerman some credit for that. I felt that Lois Lane's life was in danger, even though it's Lois Lane and yeah, of course well, they're gonna, Lois Lane's not gonna die. they're gonna kill Lois Lane. but I did feel a tinge of danger for Lois Lane and I thought it worked really well and it's been building this for a while. I also surprised myself because often sometimes I forget and you have to explain to me some plot points, but I actually remembered the previous plot points in this. (laughs) So maybe that's why I enjoyed it maybe a little more than you did. I don't know. But uh, I I think this will read much better as as when it's collected in in one hardcover. And uh, it's a curious choice for a series uh, for Spencer Ackerman of all the things he wants to write. This is kind of a curious choice for him to choose as a series. But um, I find myself uh oddly enjoying this and i'm really really curious to see how this ends because this does take place in the 1980s in the mid-1980s and it can't really fit into existing continuity so this is sort of a an odd choice for uh, for a black label story but it is, i am i do find myself strangely entertained and i wonder if if you know one could view this as uh well, I guess you can't, I was going to say you could view this as an origin story for Amanda Waller, but how do you fit that into existing continuity? You can't, but in any event, I, I was I was oddly surprised by, by, by the graphic violence in this issue, and I did not see the death of King coming. I just did not see that coming, and so I'm really curious to see how that ends, and um, hey man, this this might actually be a comic book that has consequences, and so we'll have to wait and see how it wraps up
0: yeah i I did find the death of king to be a little um convenient i guess we'll say not not that he not that it wasn't a surprise and not that uh, that wasn't what slade was after but the way he kills him, it's like really that's a kind of a one in a million but (laughs) whatever it's neither here nor there i won't spoil it you can check it out for yourself uh you're you're right i did have the same thought about being sort of an origin story if if amanda waller does sort of survive the the setup that Adele has uh, or the trap Adele has set for her, then it's, it's kind of lesson learned, right? Um, it could explain why Amanda herself is so ruthless and, you know, doesn't give a shit because um, she herself was, was set up, but, and it's not the same Amanda Waller of the, of the main DCU that's so despicable. So, uh, but maybe this is how she becomes so despicable because she was, um, really set up and, and manipulated herself. So I guess, uh, you know, you, you could say this is how she learned it from experiencing it firsthand. So, uh, all right. Batman, Gargoyle of Gotham. Again, it does not come out today as we're recording this or uh, as you're listening to this on uh, Tuesday the 12th, but rather comes out on Batman Day the 16th. It is by Raphael Grandpa. He's the writer and artist. John Workman is the letters letter uh, there is a, a black and white version called the Noir edition. I, I really recommend getting that. I think um, it's absolutely fantastic when we get a chance to see the line work from uh, Grandpa without the, uh, the colors. Not that the colors don't add to the mood and tension, but I don't think that it's necessary. Seeing the black and white, and I guess there is technically red as well, because um, whenever uh, there's blood present, we, we get to see that. Uh, but it's just so much more striking with uh, the limited color palette and seeing this uh, this new character cry tune. Um, it just feels a little bit more impactful when we get it in black and white. But as far as the story itself, we're really just getting started, um, and as uh, grandpa has has told me, as he talked about in the panel at San Diego Comic-Con, as he's said in various interviews, this uh, in the background of Gotham with these new villains um there's five i believe that are going to be introduced five or six three that we know about um mother uh cry and i uh, can't remember the virgin i think is the third one that has already been revealed but there's going to be two or three more um in this gotham that is increasingly uh, a dangerous place there's a uh, feeling from bruce wayne where <clears throat> He decides that he, uh, or I should say feeling for Batman, he needs to kill Bruce Wayne. He's going to stage an, a car accident so that he can be free to be Batman all the time. Um, that's the other part of the story that, uh, that's going on. So this was absolutely fantastic. And again, we'll, we'll probably talk about it in more detail, more spoilery uh, on next week's episode after everybody's had a chance to, uh, to read it. I should also mention that uh, for the colorized version, it's uh, Mateus Lopez who does the colors and the color work is, is done very well. Also it's not, you know, this bright palette uh, in that traditional superhero way, um, which it shouldn't be. You know, this is a darker tale, the darker Gotham. Everything's a little bit more muted, dark and gritty. And a lot of the scenes we have with cry are, are almost black and white. Uh, the, the villain cry is inspired by this old uh, 1930s black and white cartoon um, uh, of this little baby character who's always crying whenever uh they're on screen so thus the name cry tune and uh that's where this this villain has taken his uh his name from so yeah it's uh it's fantastic i'm looking forward to talking about it in more detail definitely recommend picking it up whether the color version works for you or you want to go with the, the noir version uh anything to add rocky
1: uh yeah i i really was the more i read it i read it I read through the issue twice. I really grew to love the art. It really grew on me. It was one of those, it doesn't happen often, but at first the art was a little jarring to me. But then, my God, by the time I started reading the the, the second time, uh, I felt inspired to even do up some extra thumbnails for it I love the Batmobile I love the Batmobile I loved the Batmobile. I love uh, the, the scenes the detail of some of the scenes of, of Arkham Asylum of, of, of a crime scene of of even Batman the way that uh, Raphael grandpa uh draws uh, draws the the, the the utility belt of Batman is so cool too. And the costume, it's so unique. And it's, it's, it's just cool. There's some really like visually stunning ideas. And, and even, even uh, there's even pages where he's drawing like medical journals and and the details in the medical journals of the anatomy and the skulls and everything. And it's, it's just, it really is incredible. If you just uh, sit back and look at the art and, you know, one of the, one of the benefits we get of, of getting the, Almost looking at the black and white, the the black and white version as well. It's it's equally stunning in black and white, and um, and so reading it again in black and white, it didn't take away from the experience at all. And in many ways, I lack the vocabulary right now to describe just uh, the the difference in in the in the in the tone. Not that there's difference, but it is a slightly different reading experience when you read something in black and white than than with color. And it's it's interesting that. To be able to to read, to read this twice—once in color, once in black and white—it made for a very interesting experience. And I can't wait to talk about it uh, to uh, with you uh, later as as we get into more spoilery details uh, later this week. And uh, again, I encourage everybody else to to get out there for Batman. Day to your local comic book shop and pick up Batman: Gotham, uh, Gargoyle of Gotham. Uh, and and in case I didn't spell it out, I I enjoyed it. It gets a high recommend from me. So yeah. Fantastic. Uh, all right. Collected editions that are out this week, uh, Batman, The Joker,
0: The Deadly Duo, deluxe edition hardcover. That's the uh, Mark Silvestri story, which we uh, really, really enjoyed. Also, Dark Knights of Steel, Volume 1, which collects uh, Tom Taylor's Dark Knights of Steel, issues 1 through 6. We've got uh, a reissuing of Shazam, Power of Hope, hardcover. Um, that's written by Paul Dini. Alex Ross is the artist. It's a very famous cover of uh, – shazam or captain marvel looking up at the sun sun shining on his face uh if you've seen alex ross art you've seen it you trust me uh batman incorporated uh, the aforementioned that we uh, talk about in detail the final issue well you can check out the first six issues uh in a hardcover no more teachers the first arc very very uh good from writer ed, ed brisson john Tim's on art uh, harley quinn the animated series legion of bats hardcover from writer t franklin Shay Beagle and John McKell on art. Uh, that's the one that really ties in with the animated series. Uh, I didn't read it as they were coming out. It didn't really interest me. Um, and I think that is it for uh, collections this week. So uh, there were a few other um, regular issues that came out this week that we uh, that we didn't talk about. Um so I'll go over those real quick uh, for those that read Batman the Scooby Doo we've got Batman Scooby Doo Mysteries number 12 also Looney Tunes has its 274th issue um out this week as well so uh bit of a lighter week um I don't know that uh it makes it easy to
1: choose uh, a book of the week rocky or if it makes uh it, well makes for it, me yeah for me i actually it's um uh, pick of the week is superman lost for me uh that's the one that i gotta go with um yeah because christopher priest i think did a good job and uh I, I just enjoyed the themes that he's playing with again and i have a feeling i'm gonna be buying this as a hard cover because i really like the you know again the the psychological journey that Superman goes on, and just the just the the way that it the the parallels between him and his father, and the what it says about our planet, <laughs> and it's it's definitely Christopher Priest has something to say here, and he's doing it subtly and perhaps not so subtly depending on what the disposition is of the reader, and I think I think it's well done and uh, really great art by Paglin. And, uh, and I apologize. I know I pronounced that wrong. So yeah, I, I would have to go with Superman lost. What about yourself?
0: Yeah, I probably have to go with Superman lost. It, it, it's kind of, it, it's tough because, um, I'd probably go with Gargoyle of Gotham. Um, but that doesn't come out till Saturday. So technically is it yeah. part of this week? Would it be part of next week? Eh. So yeah, I, you know, if I've got to choose between one of the ones we've, reviewed in detail i'd go uh with superman lost as well for a lot of the reasons you said especially that carlo pagulian art um but danger street was really great as well i know it didn't work for you and i know it's not gonna work for a lot of people but i I did really enjoy it but superman lost for me if i had to pick one that's probably the one i'm going with and the uh there is one more collection i should actually there's two Uh, i forgot to mention gcpd the blue wall hardcover that collects all six issues of the uh John Ridley series, but also there's an, a reissuing of the Batman 89 series, uh, or it's actually a one shot um, that came out uh, right around the time the movie came out, uh, the very first um, Tim Burton Batman movie with Michael Keaton uh, as Batman. Uh, there is a reissuing of that one shot that's coming out, but that doesn't come out until, um, until Batman Day as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a fan of that, version of batman you haven't had a chance to to check it out there is a new printing hardcover um so you can uh, you can check that out as well uh and yeah that's gonna do it for this uh issue this episode rather um we appreciate you guys joining us as always don't forget to leave some comments down below give us your thoughts on danger street i'm curious to to know if more people <laughs> feel like rocky feel, felt about it or more people feel like i felt um be really curious to see what uh, what people's thoughts are but don't forget to head over to YouTube and subscribe to Rocky's channel comic space boom exclamation um, point ring the notification bell subscribe leave some comments as I mentioned. if you want to check out the other content we have on the comic source audio only side just go to wherever you get your podcast and do a search for the comic source and subscribe have a lot of um, interviews this week with a, a lot of uh, crowdfunded projects that are coming up so be on the lookout for that. Um, And yeah, we appreciate the support As uh, always, don't forget The Cull, issue number two Is out this week as well from writer Kelly Thompson Rocky and I both uh, really enjoyed The first issue and did quite the deep dive On it, so uh, Be sure to, uh, to check it out And if you missed out on getting that first issue Of The Cull, when issue two Comes out this Wednesday, there's a second printing For issue one in comic shops The same day, so you can pick that up as well yeah, so That's it for this episode, everybody. We appreciate the support as always, and
1: we will talk to you next time. Catch you later, and don't forget to uh, check out Jace's interview with Jeremy Adams. See you later.
0: You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five star reviews on Apple.